This week's episode of the Lone Star Outdoors Show proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge and Fast Steel 2.0. Back when uh, I first got into serious waterfowling in college, Kent Cartridge made the most affordable premium load on the market. They are still doing the exact same thing with Fast Steel 2.0. It's the evolution of the OG of premium waterfowl loads and Fast Steel. Uh, but if you want a hard-hitting waterfowl load that doesn't leave you chasing cripples but doesn't hurt the pocketbook at the same time, check out Kent's Fast Steel 2.0, available in all of your favorite shot sizes. It's widely available at Cabela's, Bass Pro, Shields, you name it. And uh, you can find their entire dealer list at kentcartridge.com. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody into episode 592 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Mossberg, our presenting sponsor. It is great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. Man, dove season opens up next week. Can't believe it. Fall is almost here. Although temperatures uh, probably not going to change in my part of the world for uh, another month or so. It's hot as hell. But that's what you get living in the Lone Star State. But uh, as we're getting ready to celebrate kicking off hunting season here, one thing I want to know is from you folks tuning in from other parts of the country or even other countries, maybe Canada, do you have a dove season? And if so, is is it something that culturally you celebrate like it's a, a holiday? like we do down here. September 1st, I know, is the opener for a lot of different states, especially in the Central Flyway. But I don't know that um, other people really have that that dove hunting culture and heritage that we, we do in Texas. But I want to know if you do. I find that fascinating because it it's a hell of a party down here. Let me hear from you one way or the other. Shoot me an email or just comment on my latest uh, social media post because I just made one on this exact topic. But yeah, I want to know, does your state have a dove season? And if so, do you participate? Because I guarantee you, it's a hell of a party down here. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos, because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, some unfortunate news. Well, it seems like every day there's... Uh, unfortunate news coming out of Washington, D.C., but this one especially irks me as the Biden administration has banned the import of all Russian ammunition and firearms, essentially effective almost immediately. I think there's a little gray area there, but um, yeah, it's a full ban for Russian ammunition and firearms. Why is the only question I have. Um <laughs> You're going to find the the reasoning that the administration gave to be quite humorous and pretty petty. Uh, I don't want to spill the beans too much, but Jeremy Mallett of International Sportsman wrote a great article on the topic. He's going to join us momentarily. We'll, we'll spend a couple segments 
talking about not only that, but Jeremy also did a very budget-friendly free-range red stag hunt in Scotland, something I'm completely unfamiliar with. You know, everyone talks about New Zealand, or I've priced out hunts in Patagonia, Argentina, but haven't taken the plunge on either yet. This one, mm, sleeping in a castle, hunting red stag free range at an affordable price, pretty appealing. So we'll get into that as well as the Biden administration's latest mm, backhanded shot at the Second Amendment, if you will. Well, I mean, here's the deal. It's going to make ammo that much more expensive and that much harder to find because I don't know what percentage Russia accounts for as far as our ammo consumption domestically, but I know it's significant. So put two and two together, and yeah, you and I are going to be paying for it. But uh, we'll get into that in great detail with Jeremy coming up in just a minute. And then at the bottom of the hour, we'll spend some time talking trophy snook fishing with longtime captain Mike Holiday, who will join us from the Palm Beach area of Florida as Aaron and I just went down there celebrated my 40th birthday. She asked, what do you want to do? I really was having a hard time coming up with ideas. Her passport was expired. So like going out of the country was out of the question. And I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to catch a huge snook. Um, I've never done it in Texas. Florida says they're the snook capital of the world. Let's, let's go see for ourselves. Plus I like what governor DeSantis has going on in Florida. Um, he's right up my alley anyway. So yeah, we went to, uh, Palm beach and got on the boat with Mike. Well, we'll just get into that when he jumps on here because it was awesome. The fishery did not disappoint, and myself, and especially Aaron, my lovely bride, man, she had a good time and caught an absolute fish of a lifetime. Uh, but we'll get into all of that with Mike coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, certainly excited about it. Hope you are as well. Let's do a uh, let's do a quick giveaway. Have a lawn, a long time. Knife Sponsor has completely revamped their website. It's like a total relaunch of the brand. Uh, but it's all the same products with a couple new ones, like the Havilon Ready. And I've got one to give away here today. I think this is actually a prototype. I'm not sure uh, what their inventory is like, but they sent three of them. And the Havilon Ready is the latest in their evolution of hunting knives. We'll give one away today. All you need to do is email the word... Havilon, that's Havilon, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and we'll get you entered into today's giveaway. Let's take a quick break. Coming up next, Biden's latest shot at the Second Amendment, we discuss with international sportsman's Jeremy Mallett on SCI's Lone Always Star Outdoor been a Show. Gambling man, rolling bones with a hand, seven years the promised land, early in the morning. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Something nostalgic about the old-timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwave, Texas, at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, 
gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer corn and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season, fishing supplies. They've got foods like Anchor Tea, grass-fed beef, Dublin sodas, gourmet sauces, and a whole lot more. Also, Ace Hardware. From wall to wall, they have it all. Check it out. The Mills County General Store right there in Goldthwaite, Texas. Turnpike Troubadours bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you as always. Thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the Patriot lineup of rifles. Everything from the 22-250 all the way up to a 375 Ruger. And get this, like Linda Powell told us on the show a couple weeks ago, all of them now come threaded. So uh, no more having to worry about that suppressor. It's going to fit on every Patriot rifle made. Think rugged, affordable, but yet still highly functional. You're not giving up accuracy when you slide into a Mossberg Patriot. Plus, you can choose from synthetic or uh, a little more classy if you want to go with a a walnut woodstock. They've got it all. It's the Patriot. You can find it at Mossberg.com. With that being said, let's bring on our first guest, Uh, We've known each other for quite some time, and I enjoy reading his articles, which are published in uh, International Sportsman. It is my pleasure to welcome Jeremy Mallett to the show. Hey, thanks, Cable. Thanks for for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I didn't uh, didn't run into you last year with all the trade shows being canceled. Man, I haven't run into any of my friends, man. (laughs) We've all been in our houses doing... Zoom meetings and you know stuff like that, and not not getting to hang out with people in person, kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, tell us just a little bit about your background in the firearms industry. Yeah, so I worked for Silencer Shop for five years, um, doing their social media and marketing. Um, before that, I was a, a manager for REI. So I've been in the outdoor space for, you know, at least 10 years, well, more than 10 years, um, you know, just in the general space. But, you know, I've, I've been collecting firearms, you know, since I was 12 and hunting and shooting and just, you know, that kind of stuff. I've, I've recently uh, done a little bit of international travel, you know, uh, shot a red yeah. stag in Scotland. I see that. I see that <laughs> so, nice amount. Yeah. So, um you know, uh, now I've got international sportsmen and, and we're kind of covering, you know, all different topics from farms, hunting, fishing, um, archery, international stuff, conservation topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm up to now. Yeah. So real quick, take me back to Scotland because it seems like everyone goes to hunt Red Stag in New Zealand. Yeah. What was the Scotland experience like? So I'll say that the reason why I chose Scotland is because whenever I was in college, I actually spent 33 days backpacking through Scotland with nothing but uh, a guidebook <laughs> and a backpack and a tent. This was wow. you know, pre pre like cell phones and stuff. So I had a paper map and some guidebooks and, you know, I literally, you know, hiked 20 plus mile a day, you know, and, and so 
there's always been this love for Scotland in me, you know, I just, I really, I really do like the country a lot. And um, the way that I wound up going to Scotland for stag instead of New Zealand was actually, you know, I, I met an outfitter at DSC, the DSC convention. That's where I got plugged in and started looking at, you know, prices really. So prices were obviously a factor, right? You know, I could shoot something really nice that's free range in Scotland for a fraction of the price of shooting a high fence, something in New Zealand. Right. Right. And additionally, my wife has always wanted to go to Scotland. So we made a trip out of it, you know, um, but man, talk about a freaking great experience. We stayed in a castle that was right on the coast. It was like the waves are hitting this castle. So that's the lodge. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and then we went out and uh, I, I hunted for three days and I, I shot a uh, Scottish mountain goat, a wild Scottish mountain goat and a uh, red stag. Um, and it was just a great experience, man. I loved it. I recommend it to anybody, you know, the, your, where I was at, it's the westernmost part of the UK. Um, and you know, you're right there on the coast and you're just, you're getting to see, you know, all sorts of, of cool and interesting landscape. But I mean, we're literally, we're sitting in this ruin, this old Pictish fort and we're glassing for red stag. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's completely different than a New Zealand experience. Right. So, you know, if you want, if you want history and you want to be able to travel and do all this, you know, and see that, right. It's just, it's just completely different experience than New Zealand. So I enjoyed it. I mean, I'll, I'll get to New Zealand eventually and and get, get a really big one, but for a free range, you know, um, no fence stag. I mean, come on, man, you can't, can't beat it in the Highlands of Scotland. So. And that looks like a nice one back there. It's not like you shot some slouch. Um, yeah, no. yeah <laughs> the, I, I've hunted high fences plenty of times, but going to Scotland to do, I mean, going to New Zealand isn't, uh, you know, what really appeals to me is like the tar and chamois, oh, yeah. uh, like the bonus things you can get in New Zealand, uh, as much as the stag itself. But when I've priced those things at, at trade shows, I've kind of fallen into the, I'm more of like a Patagonia, maybe go to Argentina and shoot a free range one. Right. Um, or now this, now that I'm finding out about Scotland, what is their, um, so what is their hunting culture like there? Is it something that people embrace or is it like here where they've got a bunch of anti hunters and they frown upon it? So I've actually covered this, this topic quite a bit. I'm by no means an expert. So anybody that's in the UK that's listening to this, this is just, you know, an American's take on it, don't take it as the gospel. But, you know, here's the thing. Ultimately, um, you know, there is a strong group of hunters there. Um, people in the city typically don't like hunting. You know, it's the rural people that keep the tradition alive, right? It's, you know, hunting in Scotland is seen as, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people view it as a rich man's sport, right? The nobility, this kind of stuff, right? And that's really not the case, but that's how the public views it, right? Um, additionally, you know, I'll say, I'll summarize by saying they want to turn Scotland into Norway, okay? They want there to be trees everywhere. And that's not the traditional landscape of Scotland. Scotland never had trees everywhere like Norway. Mm-hmm. But 
there's a lot of political parties want to literally go in and eradicate all the red deer, shoot them from helicopters, eliminate them completely from the UK because they believe that they're doing damage to the trees and that's what's causing the forest not to grow. So there are huge swaths of Scotland that are high fenced off to keep red deer from coming in, right? And so they're trying to grow these trees uh, and turn it into this giant forest, right? So- Which historically it wasn't. <laughs> exactly, which it wasn't, right? And, and I, I think that's different, you know, that's a different culture obviously than a lot of places because a lot of places want to protect the animals, mm-hmm. right? And they could care less about the, the forest, right? And they care more about the forest than they do the animals. They want to eradicate all the all the, all the uh, Scottish mountain goats and all the red deer. And I, I find that somewhat humorous because they're also forgetting that there's like how many millions of sheep <laughs> there that, that graze on this, right? And then if they turn it into a forested region like Norway, then what happens to the, the sheep industry, right? Mm-hmm. You know, why do people go to Scotland? They go to Scotland for the scenery and whatnot. If it's all just a forest, man, I mean, you're hurting your tourism too. So all of that in a roundabout way to say that they do face a ton of pressure from antis, a ton um, on, on the big game stuff and on the, um, the, the birds, because, you know, they they have a hidden harrier over there, which is threatened in the UK. Now, granted, this species of hen harrier is in other parts of Europe, so it's not like it's an endangered bird. They just want to preserve it in the country, right? Um, what, is this like an upland species or? It's, it's not, it's not a, yeah. So upland hunting, like grouse hunting, right? right. They, they say that managing grouse moors and managing the land hurts hen harrier populations even though hen harrier populations have been going up and up and up, um, you know, with, with the general license that they have as far as, as far as bird hunting. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they can shoot corvids, you know, like crows and that kind of stuff and, and pigeons. Got it. So the, the harrier is a, a predatory bird that preys on grouse. So that's why they're like, you can't shoot grouse because the harrier needs to eat them. But yeah, we have harrier hawks in North America. So probably very similar you know there's resources right the the resources that the hen harrier would need versus what they need and then those birds you know attack their birds and da 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 and so they have this general bird license and because they've been doing that the hen harrier population has actually increased because you know all those you know there's resources right the the resources that the hen harrier would need versus what they need and then those birds you know attack their birds and da 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 but long story short is instead of looking at like, hey, look, this is the good that science is doing. This is the good that these people that manage the moors are doing. And they're protecting the hen harriers and increasing the numbers. Even though the report's out, they still go after hunting, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I'll just say this, you know. Sounds familiar. I, it does. I've noticed no matter what country you look at and, and being exposed to this, no matter what country you look at, anti-hunters and anti-hunting groups care more about the individual animal than they do the entire species and their money and time goes to stop hunting not to help the species right 
which we know hunting helps the species. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure you saw that latest blurb out of Oregon where they've introduced, uh, I think it's a petition they're trying to get people to sign that would not only end all hunting, but also the livestock industry as a whole as well. So basically, let's not hunt. And on top of that, we don't want you to have meat at the grocery store either because we don't think you should be killing livestock. It's Man, so I have I have watched several interviews with the person that started that, um, and I have read and researched a bunch about it, and I've thought about writing an article, but every time I start to write it, it just makes me so, it's just so absurd to say that ranching and raising cattle is sexually assaulting cows. Mm-hmm. Putting a bull in a field is sexually assaulting these cows. And that's, that's their reasoning is that basically the cows, the animals should have the same rights as humans. And I'm not for animal abuse, but come on, man, raising livestock is not sexual assault. I'm sorry. It's not. There's only one apex predator on this planet and it's, it walks on two legs. So that's right. And it's you people forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said New Zealand, obviously very expensive, like ballpark. What could the average guy do a Scotland free range, uh, red stag hunt for? Well, I'll tell you this. You may, maybe you don't stay in a castle, but you know, right. That, that, that sounds be- like a nice perk of the trip. So, so I'll tell you this, two things about Scotland and, and we'll, we'll move on. Um, you could get a nice, nice stag for about three grand. Wow. Now you can get a representative species for much less. I mean, I've seen them for 400 bucks. Um, So honestly, those representatives are bigger than a lot of the stags that I've seen here in Texas. Right. So I would rather go over there, hunt, pay a guy a hundred bucks. Have that experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the last thing that I'll say, I love Scotland. I've, I've spent over 60 days there total. And every single time that I go there between car rental, food, places to stay, doing whatever I want to do, you know, I've spent a hundred bucks a day. That's it. Wow. It's a very inexpensive country to go to. Now, of course you can spend as much money as you want to, mm-hmm. but the last time me and my wife stayed nothing but bed and breakfast is the whole time we rented a car, we drove, we did whatever we wanted to in the average of the trip minus airfare Minus the hunting side, stay in the castle because that's a side. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the trip, hundred bucks a day. Wow, so pretty affordable. Oh yeah, big time. Minus right. the big fact time. that you have to drink scotch. I'd rather drink uh, Kentucky bourbon, but ah, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> when in Rome, right? It's it's <laughs> funny. When I was uh, in my early twenties, I I got on a scotch kick, and then uh-huh. somewhere along the way, you know, they say your taste buds change, and I kind of was like. Mm. This now tastes like kerosene to me, and I'm switching over to bourbon, and I've kind of been on the bourbon thing for seven or eight years now. So I don't know. Maybe they'll switch back someday. But if you know, when in Rome, there you definitely go. do some scotch tasting. So interesting stuff on hunting red deer in Scotland. We do need to take a quick break. Uh, we'll do that and then come back and get into the Biden administration's complete ban on all firearms and Russian-made ammunition that segment brought to you by stealth cam and the fusion x the latest innovation in stealth cams illustrious lineup of wireless cell cameras i've got uh, three or four of them out at the deer lease right now 
They're helping me come up with a game plan for which bucks are on the hit list for this fall and which ones need another year or two. You can find the Fusion X at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back with more from international sportsman's Jeremy Mallett on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Yeah, I thought I knew it all. Turns out I didn't have a clue. Star Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology has been helping me light up the night for over a decade. Uh, currently got two incredible units, the Helion 2.0 Thermal Monocular. Like You can detect things out in the field over 1,000 yards. It's insanity. Plus, pairing that with a Thermion XP-50 Thermal Rifle Scope. Dude, it's like poor pigs, to be honest with you. Coyotes as well. It's... uh. The technology alone has come so far in the last few years, and the price has gone down, so the working man can't afford it. The Thermion has internal recording. It has a diverse color palette. You want to do red hot, white hot, black hot, which is my favorite. You know, there's other ones as well. It's got too many to even count off the top of my head. It is the creme de la creme when it comes to thermal optics. It's the Thermion XP50. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. This is the only way, only way I have to say, mm, I love the number one. Big little or short of tongue, wish I could have kept them all. Mm, I love the number one. One of my favorites from TG Shepherd bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. This segment of the show brought to you by Go Wild. It's a place where you can discuss gear, hunting tips, share your trophy photos, and all sorts of other cool outdoor-related stuff with hundreds of thousands of other people that share a similar mindset, right? No censorship like you're going to find on other platforms. Uh, we've all seen that before. It's a fun place to chat with hunters. You know, you find tips. You can even buy gear at Go Wild. So go to download gowild.com and uh yeah look me up once you've created your account i'll see you over there okay let's pick it back up with jeremy mallet who was nice enough to stick around through the break you know i thought we were kind of coming out of this ammo shortage and you know manufacturers are actually producing more ammo than they ever have but we have like nine million first-time gun owners and then you have a pandemic and social unrest with blm yep so people are buying ammo out of two two real things that i think are obvious number one what really started it was the local government and police forces inability or perceived inability to protect you and why wouldn't that be the case people are trying to defund the police that are supposed to protect you okay so what am i going to do now i'm going to go buy a stockpile of ammunition so that i can protect my family if shit hits the fan so that's number one. And then number two, you have a president who says, I want to take your guns away. And what is the 
initial reaction. Well, I'll be damned if you're going to do that. Let me go buy more ammo. So you have those two factors. People, Americans have been buying ammo at an, an unprecedented rate that we've never seen. And so it's been hard to find. But over the last couple of weeks, I've noticed, hey, Academy, Cabela's, places are starting to have more ammunition on the shelf. So it's like maybe we're turning that corner. And manufacturers have been, like I said, pretty much working around the clock. They're not, they're not shortchanging us. They want to sell as much ammo as they can. So I think people need to realize they're making more ammo than they have. It's still the supply and demand haven't you know, met back up. But I've noticed, okay, now there's ammunition, and now I can buy four boxes instead of two, which was what it was like for a year right. and a half. Um, so that's great news. And then I see this news that Biden has basically put the kibosh on all things having to do with Russian firearms and ammunition. We'll get into the details, but the premise of why he did this is um, like some dude named Alexei Navalny. And you wrote an article in International Sportsman. I get the newsletter. That's how I found it. Uh, with great peace. And so I was like, oh, I've got to call Jeremy. We've got to talk about this. So this dude, Alexei, basically, he doesn't jive with Putin. Yeah. He's like more, from what I understand, more like trying to expose corruption, seems to like freedom. Well, he gets poisoned. <laughs> yeah. With some like, like a nerve agent or something. Uh, yeah, something to that effect, man. I don't know what the Russians are doing. <laughs> right. you know, I just want to stay under their radar because... It seems like you get involved with Russia, something's going to happen. You might get poisoned. Yeah. So, <laughs> might get but poisoned. anyway, Alexei gets poisoned. He doesn't die. He goes to Germany and recovers. Yep. But as a result, Biden, his administration has issued all these sanctions on Russia, yeah. which is going to affect you and I and the listener and every gun owner in America because he's basically said, hey, no more ammunition. No more guns from Russia. That's right. And, you know, I think that everybody, to start off with, everybody needs to think, okay, well, I don't buy Russian ammo, but you'll probably be surprised at what brands are out there that are Russian uh, that you're I buying. Do. I bought a, a thousand rounds of 223 ammo in the height of the pandemic, and it cost me $700 of Wolf, certainly Russian ammunition. Oh, yep. Yep. So, and I was happy to pay it at that time. I was like, oh, I'm running low on this. Well, okay, let me give you my firstborn child and you send me a thousand rounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've talked to three different, um, three different distributors, big, big distributors. And there's a number going around. And essentially, they know for a fact that at least 40% of the U.S. consumer market is Russian ammo. Okay. And... We're talking self-defense, plinking ammo, uh, match ammo, and hunting ammo. And you were, you were talking earlier about the ammo shortage You're in all the unrest and people buying stuff up and the new gun owners and all that. But we also have a lot of new hunters and we have more hunting licenses sold than ever before as well, mm -hmm. right? And those guys are buying ammo and practicing. And so it's it's everybody you know that has a firearm is is contributing to the strain of ammo for various reasons right um and the russian ammo ban is 
really, really going to hurt. And even if you don't buy Russian ammo, there's two things that I think you need to be aware of is that the low prices on that ammo is what was keeping all the other ammo prices in check. Because if you can go out and buy, you know, ammo for 30 cents a round, let's just say, mm-hmm. right, then you might not necessarily pay 50 cents a round for it, right? So these other guys are saying, well, I've got to get my price lower and get it closer to that 30 cents to compete with them, right? Well, now if that's completely eliminated from the market, guess what? <laughs> yeah. You're going to you be know. paying 60 cents, <laughs> exactly. 70 cents. Yeah. And all the manufacturers are working around the clock, adding new machines in. They're holding nothing back from the consumers because, hey, man, make hay while the sun shines, right? The ammo you know? is sold before it's ever made. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, why would they not be making more and working around the clock? Exactly. It's That's a pretty common misconception that they're just like price gouging us. No. They're selling it before it's ever been made. Or, or that they're selling it to the government. Well, yeah. newsflash, the government only uses ammo from certain places. They're not buying up consumer ammo. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, 100%. but yeah, so, you know, there's, you know, just to name a few here, I've got a list pulled up. So, you know, you've got Tula ammo, uh, you've got uh, Barnall ammo, you've got Brown Bear, Silver Bear, Wolf. And then there's a lot of um, private label ammo that's made in Russia, you know? Mm. Now, doesn't mean that all these people that are listed off don't have plants outside of Russia as well, but the bulk of their plants are inside Russia. And this just isn't going to affect just AK ammo, right? 762 by 39 or, or 545, right? You know, these guys are making nine mil, they're making 300 blackout, right? They're making 45, 308, um, 65 Grindle, you know, 223, 556. You know, these are these are very, very common rounds and all the Russian stuff as well, mm-hmm. right? But if we talk about the Russian ammo for, for just a minute, if you are someone that enjoys shooting Russian firearms that are in 762 by 39 or 762x54R, you know, are those calibers. Find a domestic, trying to find a domestic supplier of that ammo that's not from Russia. Good luck. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's going to be very, very difficult for that segment and those consumers to, to keep doing what they want to do. But uh, you know. I don't know if you have anything to want to add to that, but I want to go back and talk about how we got to this point. The the floor is yours, my friend. You're here to educate us. So, you know, I think that it's something we need to think about. I'm pulling up, um, pulling it up here. Back in 2014, um, you know, there was a ruling, the ATF banned the Russian seven and six, which is the five, four, five by 39 ammo. Okay. So 2014. Okay. If we look at the sanctions against, against Russia that were already in place. So in 2018 and in 2019, there were sanctions placed on Russia that um, limited 
what guns could come in and what ammo could come in as well. So this is this is not something that's that's brand new. However, what is different this time is that while those previous sanctions targeted specific types of ammo or specific firearms, this is a complete broad brush. This right. is all ammo, all firearms, end of story. And just so, you know, to get into the weeds a little bit on technical aspect. How does Biden think that that's going to play out with our relationship with Russia? I mean, like, well, I don't know what percentage of their production is sent to the U.S., but if 40% yeah. of our ammo consumption comes from Russia, it's going to have a huge fallout for them financially. Uh, no doubt. I mean, and that's kind of the whole point of a sanction, right? Yeah. Is put pressure on them financially for something. But again... To do what? Stop poisoning people? Like, that, Russia's going to do Russian things, man. Exactly. Who, like... That's exactly it. <laughs> what, what does this accomplish? Hey, we're putting sanctions on you because you poisoned this guy. Okay, what can we do to correct this? Stop poisoning people? Uh, okay. We'll I get mean, back to you on that. <laughs> I mean, what's the... We'll, we'll stop until the next time when we do it again. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm like, what? I don't understand what you're hoping to accomplish here. So with that, what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, you don't hurt anybody but the American public. Right. I mean, you put a little, you know, dent in, in, in Russia's you know, selling of, of ammo, but I mean, come on, you know? So, so Biden's come up with the idea. Well, his, his people, his advisors, he's not smart enough to really do anything in my opinion. Um, but the idea that he knows he can't take our guns, he's trying, he he wants to, but as long as mansion is on the Senate and the good people of West Virginia likes their, like their firearms, even though he's a Democrat, his hands are tied from what I'm seeing. And he's not going to pass anything that's going to be anti-Second Amendment. It's political suicide for him. So here we are. Okay. We can't take their guns. How can we make sure we hurt them another way? Well, let's make it so expensive for them to get ammunition that it's just not worth it. It, it, Exactly. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that you look at, honestly, I think Obama you know, is smarter than Biden. <laughs> well, yeah, of course he is. There's so no doubt. I, mean, I didn't like Obama, but you know, I, I think he would have been a cool guy to like have a beer with. I didn't like his policies, but he's very shrewd. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, exactly. So my point is, is that in eight years of trying to pass gun control measures and restrict things, right? The only thing that Obama did was make silencers easier to purchase. And so, you know, I think that someone on the Biden administration looked at it and go, how can we get something accomplished on the gun control front? Right. And and then they said, oh, look, this this ammo comes from Russia. Let's restrict that. And it's a big percentage of our of our market. Right. Now, ultimately, it just drives prices up it's not going to stop the consumption, right? It's not going to just stem that tide. You know, whereas you were buying a thousand rounds a trip, you may only buy 500 now, you know, sure. But in actuality, this does nothing, nothing to address any gun violence, right? It does nothing to address gun violence whatsoever. 
So if they try to play this as a win on the gun control front, tell me how this addresses gun violence. I'm waiting. Uh, last time I checked, criminals don't discriminate on which ammo they buy. <laughs> or steal. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so you whether know, it's wolf or hornady, you know, they don't care. <laughs> so, you know, again, so so the only thing that I can think of is that, you know, it's it's a way to limit the industry in some way and then, you know, put a little bit of pressure, which is probably not much pressure on Russia. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, but I think it's important to realize that, you know, again, we've had sanctions against Russia before. What's different is this is all ammo, all firearms. And um, additionally, whatever is coming into the country now is what's going to be out there. Because even though this doesn't take effect uh, for a couple of weeks, the way that ammo is brought in is it's brought in through a form through the ATF, Form 6, I believe. And that takes about six weeks for approval from the ATF. So if any of the manufacturers or importers were trying to scramble right now and say, we're going to push through, you know, bill for, you know, 400 billion rounds, right, or whatever, right, they can't do it. They don't have enough time to get any more ammo. So they're completely blindsided by this. So what we've got is what we've got. So like existing permits or contracts, are those being honored? They're being honored. Okay. Existing approved forms. Yes. Uh-huh. As it's, of such now. A quick, it's such a quick turnaround time on these things that it's like a pretty much an effective immediately, you know, yes, exactly. type of ban. Okay. Wow. That's mind blowing. Um, like you said, it's not going to affect the Americans desire to purchase and use ammunition. It, it, exactly. Well, anyone that owns a gun, like, how could you be like, oh, yeah, Biden's so great. Look at, oh, wait, he just screwed me. Now I've got to pay for, for the thing that I love to do, exercise my Second Amendment, right? Whether it's hunting or shooting recreationally, competitively, whatever it is, he just made that harder for me to enjoy. Yeah. And there- how do these people, dude, I, I've <laughs> talked with hunters who voted for Biden. Like, you see this stuff. How do you rationalize that? Any vote for Biden is a vote against the Second Amendment. Here's proof. We're telling you right now. You didn't believe it. Here's your proof. How do you, I, I don't, it doesn't jive with me. It's a major conflict of interest. You can't do both. I think, you know, that's, that's a question that comes up all the time. And, and ultimately, I think it boils down to this, is that they value his other policies above the Second Amendment. Stop. Full stop. Right. They're, they're like, we don't value the Second Amendment as much as we do his other policies. I'm waiting for those other policies that have been good. I haven't seen them. I don't well, know, so. I mean, you know, whatever those are, free money, you know, or, or <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, oh, here's a funny uh, anecdote. I was in Florida last week for my birthday. The wife and I went and we're in the airport waiting in the line to get a rental car. And it's it's a long line. So I go downstairs. Only thing is a Starbucks. So I'm like, I'm going to have a bottle of water and my wife would like a lemonade. Okay. It's Fort Lauderdale. And this guy, thankfully, he didn't ask me for money. Uh, <laughs> but I, he's like, hey, I've been stranded here for a long time. Would you buy me a sandwich? I was like, sure, man. I'm happy to. He had like $1.50. And he looked like, I don't know. He didn't look homeless. And he also didn't look like a traveler. He, mm-hmm. I think he was just hanging out in the airport. And so I was like, I'll buy you a sandwich. No problem. 
but we start talking and, and he brought it up, not me. He's like, yeah, Biden's doing all this great stuff. And I was like, what great stuff? And he's like, he's giving us free money. And I'm like, ah, so there are, there are people out there that, but he didn't seem to be employed. Like, yeah, you know, uh, maybe work. I, places can't keep people employed and everyone's understaffed. Well, it's easy to be understaffed when people don't want to go to work because they're getting free money. And that just was like, here's a spitting image of a guy who thinks Biden is great because he's making he's making it easy for him to not have to have a job. Yeah. So this guy that you met there, this wasn't like Tom Hanks, right? Like, no, no just some reg- just a guy from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. OK, yeah. I just, just like, wonder if it was like, you know, <laughs> I, um, I don't know. Anyway, that has nothing to do with hunting or fishing, but it uh, it was eye opening for me, like. Hey, people don't want to work. Okay, well, let's just keep giving them handouts and no one will ever go back to work. So, you know, I mean, re- regardless, I mean, you know, that's that's why he got voted in. And, and even people that say that I'm pro hunting or I'm pro Second Amendment, if you vote for something that is against that, that you know is against it, that, that their morals and their values are against those things, that is a vote against the Second Amendment and a vote against hunting. What it means is that you value other things above that. And, you know, hey, that's fine. It's America. That's You're that's free to do America. that. Yeah. Well, you can do that. But don't tell me that you're pro-Second Amendment or pro-hunting if you vote in someone that has a track record of going against those things. You're yeah. not. Yeah. You're not pro that. You just enjoy it as a side benefit, but you're willing to give it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ultimately. Well, anyway. It isn't a hobby for, for <laughs> us. It's a way of life, you know, it's exactly. Um, and I feel like a lot of our, our listeners fall into probably all of, if, if they were on the fence about the show, they're not now. Uh, but I don't <laughs> think after 12 years, anybody's been on the fence about that. Man, it's insane. Um, one other thing that stood out to me, and this is, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier when we were talking about Scotland. And I've never hunted in Europe, but it seems like it is certainly a rich man's sport over there, like bar none. Well, like in England or something like that. Is it not? Are there still uh, rednecks over there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I was going to say, like, it doesn't work when it becomes a rich man's sport, when it becomes such an elite thing, uh, something to participate in that the, the average guy can't afford it. Guess what loses? The wildlife exactly everyone needs to be everyone needs to have a a skin in the game in conservation and if you make it an elitist thing then you you've lost the power of numbers and it has financial impact like certainly in america it would be Pittman robertson dollars going down the crapper like if if only what is it like what percentage of the population hunts uh six percent or something like that so it's, it's minuscule but if it went down to a half a percent, I would have devastating, devastating impact on wildlife and conservation exactly. and the park system and everything that, we, that is so great about uh, the North American's um, conservation model. So, yeah, talking, talking about Europe in general, um, what's interesting is, is that they have, uh, obviously, every, every country has a different hunting culture, right? Um, and, you know, I can speak to Scotland because that's where I have the most experience. Um, 
you know, you've got guys that are going out and shooting, you know, Corvids, Crows and, and Magpies and, and that kind of stuff because they have a license for them. And that's, you know, it's, it's called a general license, right? Uh, it's like our hunting license. Um, and, and that's very much a, um, hey, go out to a field and shoot crows, right? Because mm. why crows? Because crows kill sheep, <laughs> right? Crows kill lambs, right? Crows cause a lot of problems. They tear up crops. They do all this stuff, right? In Texas, they do a lot of uh, pecan orchard depredation. There you those, go. Those, those orchard owners, like, please come shoot my crows. So I would say that, you know, fox hunting, um, crows, you know, that kind of stuff, that's very much, you know, not a rich man's, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, hunter, right? Uh, but even even the grouse hunting and and Chinese water deer, mutt jack, fallow, red deer. I mean, I've I've looked since going over there and since since I started hunting, and it's you can you can do it for very very inexpensively. You know, um, there was a place where where you could uh, rent a cabin uh, on the property, and it's like I don't know eight thousand acres or something like that. You know, um, cabin can sleep ten people. Uh, you rent it for a base fee. So whether it's one person or 10, mm-hmm. right. And then every stag you shoot is 200 bucks. Wow. Right. It's like a, a meat hall. Exactly. Regardless wow. of size. Right. You know, so tell me how, I mean, man, that's cheaper than shooting a whitetail here. Right. You know, for sure. Um, so, and, and that, and that's the thing, this stag that I shot here, I could not have gone to any ranch in Texas and shot a deer over 120 inches for the price that paid for that stag. And just to like put it into perspective for, for people that are listening and can't see the, the zoom video here. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, like how many inches is that stag? Uh, he's close to 300. Oh wow. He's a, he's a 16. Um, very, very, it's hard to say cause he's at an angle, but he's very, very symmetrical. And, um, you know, when his nose, so I'm six one. So when his nose was on the ground, the antlers came up, uh, to about my stomach. Mm. So, mm. um, awesome. I have a six by six elk that scored out at three Oh two. And it's, uh, it's about six inches taller for reference. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so six inches taller than, than the stack. Yeah. Right. So, but you know, elk, elk go up. Right. Yeah. So, um, he was, he was pretty good, man. He was, you know, it's funny because, you know, the place that I was at had three different price ranges. And, uh, when we, when we were chasing this group of stags, we got on, he goes, Hey, look, there's your three prices, entry, middle, <laughs> upper. Do you want to, do you want to upgrade? <laughs> and I go, no, man, this one's nice. I'm happy. Boom. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. But, but if you were to go to New Zealand, I mean, you'd, you'd certainly be looking at five figures for something like that. Oh, oof, at least. Yeah. I mean, big time, like, like deep five figures. I'm not uh, knocking New Zealand. Hey, I, I'd love to go there someday, but yeah, this is more, uh, you know, what I would be interested in financially well, uh, for sure. And the experience, like you talked about, seemed like one of the deal. The experiences for me, obviously I would love to, to go to New Zealand, uh, you know, be like being in Lord of the Rings. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, here's the thing. I equate this guy, which is a very, very typical 
stag as far as like, you know, a very, very, very good example uh, above average for Scotland. Um, I equate that to going and shooting like, you know, a, a Boone and Crockett mainframe 12, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, wow, this is a really, really nice deer. But of course, you can go to a high fence, right? And then you can get all these, you know, atypical with four drop times and just going everywhere, right? So that I think is 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 the difference between Scotland and New Zealand. If you mm-hmm. want something that just looks like a tree trunk's growing out and very, very non-typical, go to New Zealand. If you want a very typical, classical stag, go to Scotland. You know, one thing I do like about the whitetail industry, deer breeding industry in Texas is like, so 12 years ago when I started this, it was all about those non-typical freaks, but the market has kind of been like, people I think saw those and kind of got over them. And now they're like, ah, I really just want the deer to look like a whitetail deer, maybe with some more points, but I want a symmetrical one. I don't want all of that trash. I don't want huge palmation. Um, I'm not, and, and you know, the trophies in the eye of the beholder, right? So everyone has their own preference, but that, that market seems to have certainly, uh, corrected and, and the, and prices for, you know, if you wanted to shoot a 200 inch whitetail on a high fence, well, it's a lot more affordable than it used to be. Uh, so it used to be like $20,000. I think now you can get one for 10. Well, I'll put things just in perspective. You could go shoot three of these for the price of what you just listed. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's free ranging too. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, well, I, we're, we're about out of time here. If you want to plug international sportsmen, um, where can folks consume all of y'all's great content that you were putting out? Yeah, I appreciate that. So you can go to internationalsportsman.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, International Sportsman, and YouTube as well, International and Sportsman. We are talking to an international sportsman. So There you go. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, check us out. Uh, again, we cover hunting, firearms, archery, and fishing. Um, we cover how-to, new products, stories, uh, conservation, um, and for any aspiring writers out there, if you want to have something published, you can shoot me an email, jeremy at internationalsportsman.com, and uh, let's have a talk. Perfect. Well, hey, man, always great to catch up, and I look forward to uh, our next conversation. Thanks, Cable. Take care. So there he goes, Jeremy Mallett of International Sportsman. Great stuff there. And uh, I'm not, you know, if if it really is 40%, which according to his uh, conversations with three distributors, that's what they believe. You know, um, some someone told me it might be lower than that. But it, if it's 10, 20, 30, or 40, it doesn't matter. It's going to make ammo prices that much higher. You're talking about millions upon millions of rounds that Americans are buying that are made in Russia. So how any Second Amendment supporter could think, oh, yeah, great job, Biden. <laughs> it's laughable. It truly is. Um, anyway. Enough on that. We're going to talk some snook fishing up next, which I'm super excited about. That segment was brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. I think you should join us. Why not? If you're passionate about your rights as a hunter, if you're concerned about the future of conservation, and uh, if you put any value in educating the non-hunting public on why what we do is necessary, then this is the place for you. For more info, check us out at safariclub.org. 
Up next, we'll head east to the Florida coast and get on some big snook with Captain Mike Holiday on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable here, and if you're listening to this show, you probably like ARs. And I'm not talking about antler restrictions. I'm talking about, you know, ARs, modern sporting rifles. And Timber Creek Outdoors has the best way I've found to take your AR to the next level. It's the Enforcer Kit. It features high-end performance parts and jaw-dropping looks. It's perfect for sportsmen, competitors, firearms, enthusiasts, and people who trust their lives to their equipment, like you and I. When combined together, these parts improve usability, as well as ergonomics, big word there, and dependability of any small framed modern sporting rifle. Timber Creek products are manufactured by Americans in the USA, God bless America, and they implement uncompromising quality control and offer a lifetime warranty. They've got a bunch of different color options, something for everybody. I've got a Hunter Green Enforcer Kit on my 224 Valkyrie. Absolutely love it. You will, too. Check out the Enforcer Kit at TimberCreekOutdoorsInc.com. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Mother, mother ocean, I have heard you call. Wanted to sail upon your waters since I was three feet tall. You've seen it all You've seen it all Watch Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Little Jimmy Buffett getting us on that beach time as uh, we're about to head to Florida to go snook fishing with my longtime friend, Captain Mike Holiday. But before we do that, This segment of this show proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics and the new Sun Slayer hoodie. It's actually what I wore uh, snook fishing. Why? Because it's uh, it's a hoodie, but it's like thin UV protectant material. It's light. It's airy. Doesn't feel like you're fishing in 90 degree weather. Feels like you don't even have a shirt on. But uh, yeah, protects me from the sun. I absolutely love it. And here's the cool thing. You'll save 20% off all Vortex apparel. When you use my promo code LONESTAR20 at checkout. All right. Well, one other quick note here concerning um, this conversation. My wife saw that I was visiting with Mike or taping an interview with Mike on our shared Google Calendar. And she got home from work yesterday and she was like, well, why didn't I get to be part of that interview? And I was like, Aaron, it's like pulling teeth to ever get you to come on the show. And she goes, yeah, well... I liked snook fishing, and I was kind of the star of the show. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> so, yeah, she wanted to be a part of that interview uh, for the first time ever. Wanted to be on the show. So, uh, sorry, honey. If I would have known prior, then uh, we would have made that happen. But, anyway, without further ado, 
Let's bring him on right now. My old pal, Captain Mike Holiday. Thanks for being here. Always good to be here, dude. Yeah, my pleasure. So we've uh, visited frequently over the years, going back to the Costa days. Uh, and But the only time we actually ever met, I believe, was at ICAST in um, Orlando. And that had to be, my wife was pregnant with the twins, so that had to be like seven years ago. Been that long? I, I would have guessed five. <laughs> no, about seven. Um, but always have kept in touch. And, and whenever there's a coastal issue um, in uh, the Florida area, you're the, the man I, I dial up. And so anyway, I, I'm getting older. Mike, I, I turned 40, and we were trying to find something fun to do. I've always wanted to catch a big snook, so uh, I asked Erin what she thought about going to Florida and going snook fishing. What, what is she going to say? It's my 40th birthday, so I already knew the answer was yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I called you and said, hey, do you have uh, an opening? And I actually got to go fishing on my 40th birthday, so that was pretty cool. And, and dude, you lucked out because typically in August, I, I don't have anything open when I'm fishing. Yeah. I, yeah. I typically will have that day open like six years from now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Most people want the same. They come, they want the same days next year. I'm going to go ahead and reserve it for my 50th birthday. That's so. a good move. Yeah. Good move. Yeah. So um, for a little bit about you. Where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up in South Miami. Uh-huh. Spent most okay. of my years in Florida. Uh, I moved out of uh, Florida, moved to New Jersey when I was 12. Lived there till I was 18. Came back to Stewart uh, to go to college. Uh-huh. And uh, went to Florida Institute of Technology for, for aquaculture. And uh, worked there. I got my graduate, uh, graduated and got you a told You home. told Aaron and I you had a, quite a few like illustrious job opportunities after you got that degree. I did, you know, and, and it's funny. I went into school knowing what I, what I liked, which was fish and fishing and being around fish, but I didn't really think about, I didn't think it all the way through. What am I going to do for a job when I get out? So I, I, I got this degree. I had about twenty six, twenty eight thousand dollars $28,000 in student loans, which was a lot at the time. Uh-huh. This is uh, 1982. And uh, I got three job offers. I could go to Belize and raise shrimp for $6 an hour and all the cormorants I could shoot. I could go to Seattle and raise salmon for six and a quarter an hour and all the eagles I could photograph, or I could go to work here in Jensen Beach uh, as a lifeguard EMT um, for $14 an hour and all the ways I could surf. So <laughs> I did that for 19 years. I, I was a lifeguard for a long time. And, and those jobs now, those aquaculture jobs, the wave of the future, those jobs now pay like seven bucks an hour. Oh, wow. So I have that to fall back on. So at least like you got three job offers. That's three more than most of the kids these days that are getting degrees in women's studies. Or, or you know, American history or whatever that they're trying to teach. That. Right. Like, uh, it right. pays 27000 oh, I can't live on that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's cool. The, my lifeguard job, um, I paid off my student loan with my lifeguard job. Mm-hmm. I have retirement from my lifeguard job. It was a... a county job which is in a state retirement system uh-huh. and it allowed me to guide um on my days off and and also write on my days off i wrote for the miami herald so i've, I've always worked like two or three or four jobs at any given time my whole life yeah. and um uh, yeah it was a it was a great job and i i looked back and I, I wouldn't do anything different um i was very fortunate i i was forced to work out every day first hour you had mandatory workout you know, now I can't find an hour 
to work out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I got paid to work out. It was amazing. Yeah. I'd go That's back funny. tomorrow. I don't think they would have me. <laughs> so when you first started guiding, you were telling Aaron and I on the boat that um, the fisheries changed a lot. Y'all used to have a lot of trout, redfish, things that are common on the Texas coast, but they're all gone. Yeah, the whole fishery has changed and, and changed dramatically probably in the last nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, a, it was a change that happened overnight. Uh, we get a lot of water that's diverted from Lake Okeechobee. Um, historically, the water flowed south through what was called the river grass, went down into the Everglades and Florida Bay, and it helped balance that, that saltwater, freshwater balance that they need down there because of evaporation. And, um, you know, back in the, the 40s and 50s, they, they diverted that water. They, they built a dike around Lake Okeechobee, and they sent the water to the east and west coast so that the land south could be used to raise sugarcane. Hmm. And uh, the creator was called the EAA, the Ever, Everglades Agricultural Area, uh, which is about 640,000 acres, I think, is around the size of it. And... Um, you know, it's very successful. It, it, it was, um, it's very rich in fertile soil, but they took water that would get slowly filtered by all the grass as it flowed south. Um, and now they just pump that water out to the coast with no filtering. So mm-hmm. we've been inundated with water every time the, the water gets too high on the lake. They send it out to the coast and it's full of nutrients. And, you know, it, it's caused a lot of nutrient pollution. It carries a lot of sediment. And that had been sort of an issue for years and years and years. And we, we may get inundated on, on very rainy years. We may get, we may get, uh, oh, seven or eight months of fresh water. And this is coming out of what river again? Comes out of the St. Lucie river. Okay. And this was cool. When we were fishing, you could see where the St. Lucie met with the bay. With the Indian river. You had the beautiful blue Florida water. And then you had this murky blackish looking fresh water. And they and there was a literally a physical line where they would meet each other. So we we have two rivers that, that meet right at our inlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is called the Indian River. It meets at our inlet and it goes 192 miles north. And then the St. Lucie River, which meets at our inlet and goes west, um, and and through a man-made canal, never connected to Lake Okeechobee. They dug the canal and connected it. Mm-hmm. Now it gets fresh water. So a river that originally was saltwater and had some brackish to it, mostly from rain and some and local runoff, uh, now gets fresh water from Lake Okeechobee and, and you know, billions and billions of gallons at, at a time, sometimes over a billion gallons a day. Um, so, you know, you take the seagrass, which are basically the food web, um, where everything, it's a nursery for all the, all the, the food and the, as well as the fish, and you put it in, you know, from a saltwater environment to a freshwater environment, by sending billions of gallons a day on top of it. Um, at times it'll kill the grass, but that really, you know, we would have some grass die off, but we never really just lost all of our grass to about nine or 10 years ago. Um, something changed. And when that happened, we lost all our grass for 15 miles in any direction overnight. And that means by trout. They're all gone. So it's so, you know, the Indian River itself has an average depth of about three feet. So it's just seagrass meadows all the way across the whole river is seagrass. And when you lose all the grass, I mean, now your only habitat now is docks. 
the shoreline, seawalls and docks, because there's there's nowhere, you know, the open water is just a moonscape. There's no grass. It's just sand, like a one giant sandbar, you know, mm-hmm. a mile and a half wide, 18 miles long. And, you know, there's nowhere for a shrimp or a crab or a bait fish to hide. And even like a, the migrating fish that come in, the bluefish and the, and the jacks and the ladyfish, when they come in big schools, they would just clean off all any food that's in those areas so all the all the fish have sort of moved to the shorelines we still have a few trout but we we you know we used to be a trout mecca you know a big part of my guiding business was based on primarily texans coming to catch a trout over 10 pounds and uh, so weird you guys do it by weight and in texas it's just like was it 30 inches if it wasn't 30 inches did you really catch a trophy yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and 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 that's what i hear oh how how big is that i'm like i i don't know eight and a half pounds isn't that weird though because in bass fishing it's all about the weight and you would think that it would be the same for trout and in texas bass are king so why wouldn't it translate to trout but no it's just it was if it wasn't 30 inches i don't want to hear about it it, it's the same it's always been that way here it's always been weight and and we're starting to slide over to that because in Snook, they're all looking for the 40-inch Snook Club, mm. uh, which just started this year. Um, otherwise, it's always been, you know, uh, anything over 25 pounds is a big fish. Right, right. Um, and 30 pounds is, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime fish. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, so you know, just to give you an example of how good it was, um, in April and May, I would be out on the flat Snook fishing. And trout were my incidental catch. Mm. I just caught them, you know, while I'm snook fishing. Um, but in that area, because it's close to an inlet, uh, we would catch trout. A- every trout you catch there is going to be over six pounds because the, there's bluefish there. And a bluefish will swim up, a uh, three pound bluefish will swim up to a four pound trout and bite its tail off and then just eat it piece by piece because the trout can't swim away. Hmm. So you always had bigger trout in these areas. We had no school trout in this area. And, um, and I would catch in April, May, I would probably catch you know, a hundred trout over six pounds. Wow. Um, I mean, that was just kind of standard incidental catches, you know, three or four day. Um, and a lot of times they were 10 or 12 pounds. Wow. Um, it, you, you just, you figured you were catch 30 snook and three or four trout every day. Uh-huh. Um, and that's what I shot for every day. That was like the average day. You had good days too, where you caught 75 snook and 11 trout. Um, but in the last, you know, since we lost all our grass, I, I haven't had a year where I've caught more than two trout in the whole year. You haven't caught a trout this year, huh? I have not caught a trout this year now. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, I'm fishing. I'm not fishing the same places. Though. I mean, you can go back to those same spots. There's just nothing there. I, mm-hmm. I, I could go fish those snook spots that I would fish 10 years ago um, up on the flats. And in a, in a full day of fishing, I would probably catch four. Mm. we're snook wow um, so it's they're not completely devoid you know I, yeah. I was shooting for 30 and a half day not in a full day i was yeah. shooting for 30 and a half, in four hours so the, the fishery has completely changed and and i want to put it into perspective for folks who don't live on the coast lake okeechobee is historically one of the top bass fishing destinations in in north america well okay they're trying to kill the grass in that lake and then they're pumping that water into your bay your estuary and it's killing your grass you need the grass they don't want it for largemouth so it would be like um if lake fork was in close proximity 
you know, just inland from the Laguna Madre. They started pumping all that runoff with those chemicals in it, killing all the grass where myself and a lot of my friends love to wade fish. I mean, that's basically what they've done with this fishery, and that's why the trout and redfish are long gone. But the snook have remained, and we'll get into why they've remained and why they get so big, which my bride found out firsthand. Uh, We'll discuss next that segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. I'm telling you, big chingon it if you haven't already. You've got kids, you need a big chingon. It's the Taj Mahal of deer blinds. It's got carpet, it's got cup holders, it's got windows for archery and for rifle. And here's the thing, it is so roomy, all five of us in my family, plus the dog if we want to take Belle. Well, forget Joe, we would never take that terrorist with us. But Belle's a lady, and she can come with us too if she wants to. I mean, it's a family affair. The kids are comfortable, it keeps them undetected by the pigs and deer that we're hunting. It's the Big Chingone, and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll continue the Trophy Snook conversation after the break on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I had my pride intact, but you set my heart on. Hey guys, Cable here, and if there's one service, one company that I rely on heavily when planning my next backcountry hunt, it's Onyx Hunt. They have, for a long time, set the gold standard when it comes to giving me the information I need to basically predict where I'm going to find animals. And if you can hone in on where the animals are going to be, you're going to be more successful. Onyx uses their own topo maps, plus, I mean, geographical features like watering holes or a meadow system that works its way down a mountainside where you know those elk are going to be feeding and muleys in the morning and evenings. Yeah, it'll show you that as well. Uh, Plus, of course, private property boundaries. Where does the National Forest end? Where does Rancher Joe's property start? Yeah, it's going to show you that as well. So whether you're planning a backcountry hunt or just picking ambush points to hang your tree stands on your whitetail property, Onyx shows it all to you. They've got different layers you can apply to a uh, specific grid or a piece of property. It's really rad. And here's the cool thing. You'll save 20% when you order your Onyx subscription by using my promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at onxmaps.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatofDallas.com today. And if I ain't sleeping well, I better be fishing. If I ain't anchored, I will be drifting. But all in all, I'm doing pretty good. Since I hit my third coast. Well, Larry Joe Taylor, third coast, bringing us back on STI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. And we're talking a little fishing here today with Captain Mike Holliday, who has joined us from the Florida coast, uh, Stewart, Florida, to be exact. My wife and I just returned from a trip 
uh, chasing giant snook with him. And we're going to jump back into that conversation momentarily. However, this segment is proudly brought to you by NUMA Outdoor Apparel. Texas owned, they specialize in making quiet, comfortable, high-performance hunting gear. Specifically with the bow hunter in mind, I ran a lot of the stuff through the gambit in South Africa. And uh, here in a couple weeks, I'll do the same thing chasing bugling bulls in New Mexico, decked out in the latest and greatest that NUMA has to offer. And you can find NUMA's entire lineup of high-tech hunting apparel right there at numaoutdoors.com and save 20% at checkout with that promo code LONESTAR20. Check it out. NUMA, that's P-N-U-M-A, outdoors.com. All right, well, let's pick it back up with Mike Holiday, who was nice enough to stick around. And Mike, before the break, we talked about how the Lake Okeechobee runoff and, and overflow has wiped out your seagrass. There at your beautiful little inlet where the Indian and St. Lucie rivers collide. And while that's certainly unfortunate, what has remained is perhaps the world's greatest trophy snook fishery. And, you know, we targeted these big fish at the jetties on the edge of a mangrove swamp and also at, at some docks. So they apparently relate to structure more so than a trout would. But all on shorelines, you know, um, and, and all the reds are gone. Yeah, same deal. Reds all left too. I guess the snook just do better with relating to that structure. They don't. Yeah, they, and, they don't and need the grass essentially. The the well, they're a dominant fish. Come when they're when those three fish are in a location, the snook's going to be the dominant fish. Hmm. So they're just a little more aggressive. They're going to catch more of the food. So they just naturally push those other fish out. You know, we have snook deep down on the the Texas coast, like mm-hmm. really, South Padre Island's got a really South. good. But uh, but I've always seen you posting these pictures of these giant snook. And I was like, and and you guys are proud of it and say this is the snook capital of the world. We're very fortunate. We, we so if you go to the west coast of Florida, um, they have big numbers mm-hmm. and they do get big fish. But if you look at a west coast fish compared to an east coast fish, um, west coast fish tend to be skinnier, a lot skinnier. East mm-hmm. coast fish have some shoulders on them, and I I think it's because um, so we have, you know, we, we have the Atlantic ocean and in the middle of winter, the Atlantic's 72 degrees. So when you get an incoming tide, the, the, the water inside warms up, even on the cold days where the Gulf of Mexico's, you know, in the low sixties. So the, you know, the fish are not as actively feeding, not as actively moving where I'm on, on the East coast. They're in warmer temperatures, warmer climates. They're, they're feeding a lot more often. Um, it, it's kind of crazy because if you go to the West Coast, they have by far way more food. By far. Everywhere you go, there's bait over there. And over here, you got to scrounge for it. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't have to scrounge too hard on our uh, on our trip. I we kind of knew where to go. Yeah, I, we had a good guide. And uh, I, I caught the first one of the day. And I was surprised at how how hard they fought. And just stripping drag we were using um spinning reels but i don't know what pound test we had on there but uh they were 20 pound. yeah 20 pound braid 20 pound braid with a 40 pound fluorocarbon leader and a 2-0 hook 2-0 circle hook and we, we and we were using um shad for bait we were using uh what were those what we call um pilchards which pilchards. are actually a scaled sardine okay so weird because y'all call 
Uh, a lot of things shad, which to me, like a shad would come from Selma. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'd catch striper yeah. with them. Yeah. But they're actually so using, they're but, actually more in the herring family. Okay. Okay. And that's a seasonal bait? Uh no, we get them year round. Uh-huh. They just they just, you know, so a lot of the year they're offshore. Um, a lot of the year as adults, a lot of them are out in the ocean, you know, typically in less than 120 feet of water, but okay. you go out to the reefs and they're, they're covered with them. You just have to have a nice enough day to get out there. And, and typically in the summer it's flat and, um, the rest of the year it's, it can be rough, but you get flat days. So you just, well, heck, you took your boat, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I mean, it's not an offshore rig, but you can run, you, you're like what, six miles from a hundred feet of water. Something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So I, I, I run a 23 foot pathfinder. 100 feet of water is about six miles out, you know, so pretty quick. You ride. caught two sailfish the day before we came. Yeah. A couple of sails, nice cobia, some dolphin. Yeah. I mean, it's something you can do. You can just go out there and do it for a couple of hours. And if the bite's not good, come back in and get on the beach and tarpon fish or come inside and snook fish. The thing we have is variety and, and not having to go very far to get it. We're, mm-hmm. that, that's where we're fortunate. Well, back to these snook that I was obsessed with and the whole reason why we came to Listen, Florida. dude, I, I've seen people come and fish them and move <laughs> where they live, uh, down here, because they were yeah. eating up with them so bad. It was awesome. But the, so they fought like hell. And the, the first thing you notice is you're like, grab them by the mouth. And I'm like, you mean like a bass lipping? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I tried that once with a red snapper. I, felt, I found out real quick why they were called snapper is his yeah, tooth went through my thumbnail. You know, uh, you only do that once and, and you're like, no, just grab them. So no teeth in these things, uh, which I did not know. And like a sandpaper one. type lip, oh, very similar to a bass. You know, when you handle yeah. a lot of them in the course of the day, your thumb's worn down. Yep. Yeah. Which, which mine did, um, end up looking like we call it bass thumb, but I guess you can call it snook thumb now. That's what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know what size the ones that I, I think I caught. My biggest one was a 34 incher and then my wife. No, your biggest was 36. Mine, remember? mine was. Mine was 36. Okay. Yeah. Well, then she caught two that were bigger than that, including this one. And I mean, when I saw this thing, my jaw just dropped. And uh, it's one of those things where it's my birthday. I'm supposed to catch the biggest snook. But at the end of the day, I was so stoked for her that she caught it. Uh, and I'm going to get a replica done for her. Not She doesn't know that. But um, yeah, she's uh, she she had a bruise on her, um, like I guess right below her breast she had put the rod there yeah yeah uh, from fighting these things and the, the one that she brought in ended up being 44 inches and i had asked you previously because i was like what is the gold standard like what what is compares to the 30 inch trout and you're like 40 inch snook okay boom 44 inch snook just and you could put i'm not kidding you a softball in that thing's mouth easily easily and it you know it, a couple things out of that it, it, that bruise that she goes home with, that's a Florida bruise. That's what you come to Florida for. Whether it's a tarpon or a sailfish or a snook, uh-huh. you get on the airplane and you're riding back and you, and you touch it, you're like, ow. And then yeah. you go, oh, did I tell you about this snook I caught in Florida? <laughs> that's what that bruise is there. So the next couple of days, it reminds yeah. you to tell everybody your story. And the yeah. other thing was that, you know, she caught it. And it was, it was really cool for you, for me to see you just really love the fact that she caught it. And not yeah. be pouty about it or anything. You were like really into it. I was I was kind of surprised. Yeah. The, the biggest part about that was you completely won her over. 
Now, when you want to go travel anywhere, you know, to go fishing, she's in. I could see mm-hmm. it. She was like, that was really cool. That was really fun. We should do more of that. Minus the offshore stuff. I, we told you the story about her puking yeah. on our, our uh, 10 year anniversary trip. We went to uh, the Dominican. So as long as it's in the bay, she's cool with it for sure. You pick but, your days, man. When it's when <laughs> when in the summer when the ocean is flat, it's flat as it gets without freezing. You mm-hmm. can you you can run completely wide open all the way to the Bahamas. So we didn't we didn't get to uh, eat the snook. We I mean we were only there for two nights, three days, and we weren't like set up to even take it with us. Which so we were just catching release. Um, you can keep one a day though, and I've heard they are delicious. Yeah, you keep one a day. Uh, we have a slot size to them, 28 to 32 inches, which is, a, you know, it's a pretty small slot, four inches. Yeah. Uh, basically nine to 13 pounds, eight and a half to 13 pounds on a, on a you know, on a skinny fish. Um, and uh, we have closed seasons on them. So right now it's a closed season. They close June, July, and August, and then they close December 15th through January 31st. Now, why June, July, August? Is that when they're spawning? spawning months okay keep people from taking them because they gang up and 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 they're in big aggregations it's pretty easy to catch them mm-hmm. go over there and target them and and you know people would just wipe them out when they're spawning and yeah. the other in the winter time they close it because we get um you know big cold fronts and if the water temperature drops below 54 degrees for three or four days and they get like dormant um, mm-hmm. they'll turn upside down and and sink to the bottom and you can just go by with a, with a net and just scoop up every snook you want. So wow. people would do the same thing. They would just scoop them up and say, yeah, I caught that. <laughs> okay. So those are the two, two times they close them, but that, yeah. that slot limit is, is pretty tight. It, yeah. you know, it's tough to catch for. And that's something you just don't, you, in fact, um, what's been good about that is we catch a lot of big fish now and you're, you're more likely if you come here and throw top water plugs, like during the fall mall run, you're way more likely to catch an overslot than an underslot mm-hmm. or a slot fish, which and is you, t- you told me nice. that this was trophy time. So the, the, you're not going to catch the sheer numbers, but you're going to catch bigger fish. And I think we probably caught, we probably only fished for three hours and we probably caught 11 or 12 fish and Aaron mm-hmm. also caught a, a barracuda. So we weren't void of action, but all the fish, not all the fish would have been over that slot limit, but I'd say at least half of them were over oh, yeah, 32. And then the 144 that she caught, uh, how much do you think that thing weighed? Uh, high 20s. Yeah. 28, 29 pounds, maybe 30, but high 20s. Uh-huh. When you, I, it, you know, it's weird. I've, I've handled so many of them. Um, I can tell you when, when he comes up to the side of the boat and opens his mouth, I can tell you if it's a slot fish or not, mm. just by looking at the size of the mouth. Uh-huh. And then when they come in, I can tell you if they're over 40 inches or not by looking at the size of their mouth because it, it's so big. Um, and, and I can put my hand in there and reach all the way to the back where its crushers are and not fill up half of that space. And it's yeah. like, oh, you know, when, when I look at them, it's cavernous. Yeah. In there. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's the thing about the big ones compared to the little ones, particularly when you're fishing baits, but same with lures, the big ones don't miss. Mm-hmm. They've got, they just suck that bait in and, and their mouth is so big and they suck in such a volume of water when they eat, they don't miss. The little ones, you'll hear them pop, pop, pop a bait several times and, uh, and miss it. Where those big yeah, ones, yeah. you get a thunk, you pretty much know it's going to be a good one. Game on. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I, I can't tell you how much fun we had. Uh, Mike isn't isn't shy on storytelling. He's got a lot of good ones, so you get that with Mike. Uh, plus, the the snook fishing was, you know, it it was everything that I hoped it would be, and then some. Uh, to to have her catch that wall hanger, uh, man, it it made the trip for me. So we certainly appreciate it, man. It was it was good. It was fun to get together out there. We need to do it more often. I, I need to I come your way, come and then you come my way. I come your way. You come my way. You yeah, know, you need to make it here in the in the fall when we're throwing top waters. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, all we're throwing is top waters day and night for snook and tarpon. Uh, yeah. You you don't so know what tarpon's the next one on the bucket list, right? So uh, no, you can go into a bar in Port Aransas, and historically that used to be like. 70 years ago, like the tarpon capital of the world, but yep. you can still catch fish on the Texas coast, but it's not like it used to be. Why is that? Um, I think there's different schools of thought out there, but I think it was just overfished. I mean, that's the, that seems a, to be. That's a big know, one. You know, yeah. in, in Florida um, for years, everybody killed the tarpon and they did mm-hmm. like, they killed them for egos. They put them in the back of their truck and drive the gas station and show everybody the fish they caught and then bring it back out to the water and dump it dead. And uh, it was very common. Mm. We saw people do it all the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, it killed a lot of fish. And even now, you have some of the some of the places like in Boca Grande, where all those big sharks are. You know, a, a, a large percentage of those fish that are hooked are are eaten, either either when they're on the line or right after they're released and and weak. So yeah, um, it, it doesn't take much to impact a fishery. It really doesn't. And you get everybody just, you know, dinging fish and you get a lot of fishing pressure and you, you don't want to be the capital of anything, man. Once, once everybody shows up and it gets crowded, <laughs> then the fish leave. They're smart enough to know every time I go by this spot, you know, I get somebody yanks on my face or drives over my head. Yeah. And, uh, that's probably what happened really. Um, it's sad. It's a shame because it, it, typically those places don't come back. You know, well, ours hasn't. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's yeah. very common, and and there's a place. At least the mindset that. has changed, though, both both here and and there. But you know, maybe that fishery will come back, but it hasn't, and it's been a long time since it. The photos are black and white. You know, that's how long ago the the glory days of Texas tarpon fishing occurred. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because we're seeing, I I think, um, a point in in our lives where where you know i'm older i'm 61 and a lot of the stuff has changed in front of my you know right in front of me and um in my lifetime but but it's really accelerated in the last 10 years i think we're seeing water issues and habitat issues and fishing pressure issues um everywhere in this country but at the same time don't you think that the mindset of catch and release has also vaulted i mean that's like a pretty predominant mindset when it comes to these fish now tarpon i, I think it's i think it, it's getting even better it's accelerating and, yeah. and everybody's you know following those practices um realizing that you know it'll disappear if you don't take care of it yeah and uh you know i think people have become a lot more active in conservation now than they ever were I except think for louisiana more- but I'm yeah. not going that way <laughs> where you can bowfish redfish but uh, hey, to, to their great. credit, they must have the best estuaries and marshes on the planet. Cause it doesn't seem to affect their population. They, yeah. You know, until it does. Right. We thought until we had does. the best. Mm-hmm. We thought it was amazing. We thought, you know, 
for me to go catch a 10 pound trout, if you flew in to catch it, we're going to catch it. Mm-hmm. If you have I have you for two days, without a doubt, we're catching it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I got to go catch a 10 pound trout, you know, I got to go all the way up to Fort Pierce, which is uh, about 23 miles away. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, they've got habitat issues too. They got fishing pressure issues too. It's not like it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so the conservation side of it and, and, Really, in, in a lot of cases, like with trout, um, keeping the big ones in the population. You know, for sea trout, the larger fish, a, a 10-pound trout may be the same age as a three-pound trout. It's just faster growing. It's got better genetics. Hmm. So you want to release those big fish and keep those genetics in your fishery. And that's, oh, for sure. That's the whole key. And uh, I think and a lot of taxidermists one. now won't even do skin mounts. That's good. So it's all, I mean, I know my taxidermist, I've got, well, it's 29 and three quarter inch trout. So not technically 30 when I that's, caught it. Uh, but I think it's a good tr- trout, but uh, it's not quite there, man. No, but I think the mount might be 30. They might have fudged a little on the mount. That's but, funny. Uh, you should, anyway, we can, you know, we, we get together. We, <laughs> we need to go trout fishing as well. Like we can go, we can go tarpon fishing and then go mess around with the trout a little bit. So we can get one of those big ones. Last question. So if I wanted to come, which we did, my wife caught the 44 incher, which exceeded the, the, uh, trophy, the, the line there of the 40 inch mark, how, how easy, we don't want to say easy, but yeah, how easy is it to catch a fish like that? Is that a once every 10 trips, every five trips, every trip? It, it depends on when you come, you know, um, if you come from April through October, um, you're going to hook a good fish every day, but a fish like that, probably every eight or 10 trips, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe even more. That, I mean, that's, that was a truly big fish. Um, but you can, you can narrow that window down to, you know, uh, the full moon in August, the new moon and full moon in September and the new moon in October. And those windows right there, you can have a considerably better chance of catching a big fish uh, okay. three or four days on either side of those moons. But then, you know, like in January, uh, I don't think you'll catch one. Yeah. I think you can target them, but I don't think you'll catch one. Most of the fish we catch are, are juveniles. You know, we catch 30, 40 a day, and, you know, a morning. I mean, I shouldn't say a day, a morning. And uh, most of those fish are under 28 inches. Mm. You know, it's mostly the, the males that are recruited in the population. The big females are in deeper water, settled on the bottom. They're not eating at all. So we really just caught lightning in a bottle as far as the stars aligning for that trip. Because I think I called you like 10 days before. I was like, hey, yep. this is when my birthday is. This is what I want to do. You had an open date. It happened to be on the new moon in August, which is a great time to catch mm-hmm. a snook, which you're talking to somebody that literally knew nothing about snook other than they looked cool. And I heard they fought really hard. So, yeah. It, but, it, it, part of that is luck. Yep. Same deal. For sure. Yeah. You know, and, but part of it's, being here around the right time it's it's like anywhere you go mm-hmm. if you want to go if you want to go somewhere if you want to go to louisiana and catch the big reds there's a time to be there you want to go to massachusetts and catch stripers they'll tell you there's a window you need to be here have you uh, ever been to baffin bay that's like our trout uh, i haven't been to baffin yeah i'm sure you've heard of it i have yeah i know texas pretty well well cool my friend if you want to uh give your website so if someone wants to book a trip yeah, sure. CaptainMikeHoliday.com. Two L's in holiday. And then the other 
what what is the captains for clean water if they want to find out more information on that uh captainsforcleanwater.org okay and is that a florida specific thing only no they they they're fighting for water all over the all Perfect. over the country their their big push right now is for everglades restoration mm-hmm. um, but the, the the group is expanding so quickly that they're fighting issues all over the place i mean they, they were just fighting for the pebble mine issue up in alaska very cool uh, which got knock back, which was a good thing. Absolutely. Well, cool, Mike. Well, Hey, I look forward to the next time really do Aaron and I had a blast and uh, two thumbs up. Highly recommend fishing with Mike. If you want to catch a trophy snook. Thanks cable. We need to do it again soon. You can bet on that. There he goes. My good friend, captain Mike holiday. Great catching up with Mike and man, Florida, that, that part of the coast, great food, great hotels, very much of a Texas mindset. Great governor. I love Florida. Can't wait to get back there. Uh, That segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making anymore, but we all want it, whether that's to go fishing, to go hunting, run cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city. Lone Star Ag Credit has been doing this for over 100 years. They'll take care of you if you're ready to make that dream a reality. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Unfortunately, got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Mike, as well as our other guest today, Jeremy Mallett of International Sportsman. Thanks to you guys and gals for being a part of today's presentation. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Mm